Welcome to Vets to PM's Military Transition Academy podcast, the show where we discuss how to succeed in transitioning from the military service to the civilian workforce. This show and the academy it represents helps veterans transition into meaningful, lucrative post-service careers. Your primary host is Eric Doc Wright, PhD, Certified Manager, Military Veteran, Serial Founder, Best-Selling Business Author, Philosopher, Linguist, and Coach. Your other host is Jeremy Burdick, Project Management Professional, Scrum Master, Product Owner, and Retired Air Force Chief, and the current COO of Vesta PM and the Professional Development Unit University, where we will interview veterans successful in corporate America and business to bring you nuggets of wisdom every episode to make you more successful. Next, let's introduce today's guest. Our special guest today is John Glowacki, and he's a uniquely qualified leader that had the distinction of serving in governments of both the United States and Canada. He was appointed by the Prime Minister in 2014 for three years as the COO of Shared Services Canada, which is the largest IT operation in Canada. Previously, he was a corporate vice president in a fiduciary role as the chief technology officer of a U.S. Fortune 200 multinational company supporting many governments and industries, and has led very large-scale turnarounds in private and public sectors. Results across all these roles were improved customer satisfaction, operational and financial performance, including significant revenue growth and adding shareholder value, which really is stock prices going up, right? And then winning standing up large pieces of different businesses. John retired from the United States Air Force while at JSOC in 2000, where he spent 11 years of his 21-year military career. Overall, his assignments included several operational assignments, including Panama in the early 1980s, with extensive work throughout the Central America. As an instructor in industrial engineering, where he conceived the Special Tactics Wing concept, which is alive and well today, and as an acquisitions program manager. John holds an MBA from George Mason University and is the current CEO for the Combat Controller Foundation. And there's a lot packed in here. It seems as though it's a little heavy on combat controller, but trust me when I say there's a ton you can pull out uh, regardless of your career field or specialty and important to say, even just in life lessons. So can't wait to get started. Let's get after this. I was in an undersecretary level uh, position in uh, the government of Canada, which is kind of a funny story in itself how I got there. But when I've done some speaking since then, and I'm trying to get people, for instance, young folks, I'm trying to coach them. You know, it's okay. Go ahead and ask a question. And I'll tell them, look, I, I've spoken before a legislative, a national legislative body over a half dozen times. You couldn't possibly ask me, ask me a more stupid question than I've already <laughs> had to face. So, so fire away. <laughs> nice. Uh, Actually, keep that one in the podcast. <laughs> that, that, that's Dan for sure. Yeah. For sure. Well, John, thanks. Thanks for taking your time with us. I think uh, really cool opportunity, one, to get your career field. And we'll talk just a little bit about that out into the mix and just discuss combat control. Um, and then also some of the other parts of wisdom that you've learned between transitioning from the military, but also working in the civilian uh, sector, which Doc calls the CivDiv. And there's a lot to be learned for our listeners out there. So why don't we just start with what you do in the military? And from there, towards the last few years, what did you do to start to prepare for your transition? Well, thanks for having me, guys. Um, I'm actually, I just remember there was a list that I want to have open that I'll probably refer to a couple of times. Um, I, I called it my mantra. Um, you know, it's those things that I don't claim authorship on all of them. You know, it's those things like, uh, you know, pursuing the 80% solution, for instance. Um, you know, good, good, cheap, uh, good, faster, cheap, pick two, those kinds of things that I, I don't claim authorship, but I learned a, along the way. Um, you know, the, the summary real quick of my, uh, my background. Um, nope. <laughs> Some people seem to be able to plan their their careers, their professional lives, and uh, you know certainly being in the military, that's made easier for you. But I've got 40 years of experience at this point between a 21-year military career and the two decades since, 
And, uh, you know, I, I sure as hell didn't plan it all. Um, you know, it, it, life happened along the way. I did look for situations, and that's one of the things that I would mention to people. Um, as I was trying to make my way in the civilian world, which, you know, one of the things I had to get used to right away was I came from, you know, the, the special ops world, obviously, and combat control specifically. We had this, you know, quiet warrior ethos, you know, you, even though we, we have pretty big egos and some are very willing to exercise those egos. Generally speaking, you know, we weren't about running around telling everybody our story and pounding our chest, which is one of the reasons we have a foundation now. Um, the, uh, uh, the dilemma that I had was when you get into the private sector, you do have to sell yourself. And, you know, there's a way to do it. There's lots of bad ways to do it. But you need to do it to some degree. And that's something that military people in general, and certainly when you come from, you know, the, the special ops side, and you're, you're, you're trained and, and coached to, you know, not talk about everything you do in the middle of an airport, for instance. Um, you know, that's, that's something that you have to get over because every day you're selling, as they say, every day you're competing and, uh, people have long memories and networks are amazing things in the private sector. And you may have a reputation you're not entirely aware of, or you may not have a reputation and that's the problem. Um, so you have to, you have to overcome that and be willing to, to, you know, sell yourself a little bit. And. You know, if you're not comfortable with that and you're not sure you're selling yourself well, then I highly advise you to get some coaching. And generally speaking, you want it for more than one person um, because, you know, diversity is out there and people perceive things differently. And, and so that, that's a better way to go. But, um, you know, it, I mean, yeah, the kid from Jersey City wound up in the service of Her Majesty. I say, yeah, we all saw this coming. It's, you, know, um, you know, 21 years in the military. I, I had one or two. Um, sidetracks in my military career and they actually turned out to be more beneficial you know uh, in hindsight than i realized maybe at the time um i taught at the combat control school i was an instructor there for about a year and a half before i medically had to leave the career field for a while and then i came back and the instructor time was great because i learned public speaking which you know you, you need it as a business skill um, the ability to speak one-on-one, -on -one, small groups, massive groups. I've spoken in front of live audiences of more than 8,000 people. Um, and to be able to get up there and do that and, and not think twice about it, you know, that, that's a, a good skill to have. That, you know, we can talk about, I was in the outsourcing world for the better part of two decades. And we can talk about offshoring and outsourcing and jobs are being taken away. But there's certain jobs that can't be taken away. You still need people to engage with customers. So that's personal skills. So, you know, personal communications. So, uh, you know, these, I'm, I'm throwing out a few random things here, but they were really important. And, and tying them back to my military career, I got the training in the military. Uh, two other things that I got in the military, because I had to leave the career field, I went into the industrial engineering career field in the Air Force. And I learned a set of business skills that have served me the rest of my life. It was it was outstanding, strategic planning and and I, you know industrial engineering techniques. And then I got to go back in and jump out of planes and do all that. But then the last uh, sidetrack was where I finished my career. I was in uh, the twenty fourth uh, Special Tactics Squadron, you know, associated with uh, with JSOC. And I was there for five years, and then I took a role on the command staff at JSOC for my last six years. And that was a step into the acquisition world, firing systems and you know, buying toys for the troops is what I used to say. But it's, it's the development, it's product development, it's program management, it's not procurement. Procurement, you buy things from the catalog. This was, okay, we want a new laser rangefinder with a computer, with a communications device so we can improve call for fire. And we don't have anything go. And so that was a tremendous set of, you know, contracting skills and business skills and all that. So, uh, you know, again, sometimes these things that you do, you know, as a left turn, you may or may not want to do at the time, but if you really go into them with the right attitude, you can gain a lot from them. 
So I just want to, John, I just want to give everybody's noggin that's listening a bit of a strategic pause. So I'll summarize a couple of things I heard that are just absolutely key because, you know, as we were setting up the podcast, I just had a blazing question like, okay, so how do you go from doing 21 plus years, jumping out of planes, serving on staffs, et cetera, to now you're the guy leading the staff, you're leading a foundation, you went, you know, you've done a bit of contract, you've done a bit, I mean, you've done a bit of everything since you left. And and there's been a two decade period in there. So what I just heard, here's what I heard, MTA Podcast Nation. Okay. It's kind of like kindergarten. Everything you learned, everything you needed to know, they taught you in uniform. Yep. It's a big organization with people yep. Yep. and a mission and problems and yep. the same hard and soft skills you learn, make decisions, solve problems, be curious, uh, counsel, train, mentor, advise, coach, assist. All that stuff you learned is still just as applicable. It just call it Coca-Cola and USAA and, and Walmart instead of Air Force and Combat Control Career Field, right? Okay. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Go ahead. The second thing that I thought was amazing is you'll hear people all the time on LinkedIn, the thought experts, thought leaders, usually self-labeled, say, well, don't take lateral moves and don't take entry-level <laughs> positions and whatever. Well, kind of like combat control. I don't care how many years somebody has in civilian aviation. I'm not inducting them into the Air Force and sending them to an eight-week school and sending them out to take a combat control team over. They do have no zero, they have zero industry experience, as we would say, on the business side of the house. Right. So, John, I loved what you said about you've got the skills and the knowledge and the abilities. Look for opportunities to apply them, right? And isn't that what you learn in the military mindset? Exploit opportunities, right? Get close, engage, whatever, and learn the language of management. Right. That's what I wrote the book for years and years and years of saying, hey, learn to speak management, learn to speak management. You just heard John say, learn public speaking, learn contracting, learn acquisition. John, could you spell acquisition the day you took that job or you're like, oh, shit, I got to figure this out before they figure out I don't know how to spell acquisition. And six weeks later, somebody figured out you probably didn't know on day one. But by then you were spelling acquisition and you were doing it pretty good. Right. Like, you know, two out of three times I would get it correct. Yes. At, uh, yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, I, I have Perfect. to say that one, that one was more planned because that was a conscious decision that I was going to go into the acquisition world. You know, the previous two weren't. They were, were just career choices. And I thought, well, the industrial engineering thing looks interesting. And, and I took it and I thought that might help later. And it, it was uh, much more impactful than I gave it credit for at the time. The acquisition thing was my medical records were getting very thick. I knew I was getting to the end of the career field. I had to think about a, a post-life for my family. I still had a young family then. And it was a conscious choice to step away from, you know, an operational unit and go down this path. And I wasn't coming back. I, I, I knew that. I was going to go do five to six years and retire. And hopefully this would make transition good for, you know, my, my post-life. And it, it, you know, best, best choice I made as far as my assignments uh, in, in my military career. But even without that, um, one of the things I would encourage people on active duty to do is take those side trips, take a staff assignment, go be an instructor for a while, do these other things, take a special duty assignment that takes you totally out of your career field for three years, and then go back. Something There are those opportunities because when you spend you know, I, I can remember guys and, and, you know, early in my career, I was one of them uh, that I just want to be on a team. I want to be downrange. That's it. Well, when you retire, that's kind of all you got. Now, it's not to say that's nothing because you've got problem solving skills. You, you've got, you know, an adaptive inability to adapt and overcome. Uh, you've had to work with a lot of different folks. So you've got, you know, team skills and, and some amount of communication collaboration skills. But, uh, and you will have trained people. So you've got, you know, training skills there as well. So at a minimum, all military people have certain things. They can go off and become teachers or trainers. They can, you know, they, 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 you know, these skills are important to business leaders. I know I've been one for the last two decades. Um, you know, guys like us, I, I, and I am public about it. Yes, I have a biased preference for military people and I make no bones about it. And I said, I'm not going to hold it against you because you weren't. 
But if I'm looking at five people and one of them, you know, did at least, you know, one tour, I'm probably going to give them a little bit more of a nod because there's certain things that they get about, you know, it's the values. They understand mission, you know, they understand taking care of people. And I'd rather, you know, if I got to take a, a nod, or, you know, take a chance on somebody out of five, I'm going to give them the nod, all things being equal. I love it. You, you can't always be the gunslinger. At some point, you're not going to be fast enough on the draw. You'd better become a homesteader. Now, you'll still have to fend off the occasional bear with a nice shot. But for the <laughs> most part, you got to learn the admin skills, right? Like, how do I run the farm? How do I make an income? How do I take care of family? Like, I love it, man. I love it. JB, what do you got there, Batman? Well, what I was wanting to know. I was thinking myself, I, th I think it's a really good point that, as you say, taking the, the side street or the, the side gig or the alternate duties uh, according to some services, right? So when you do that, you're, you're, you're kind of taking that spike, right? And you're widening it so that you have exposure and you're, you're forced to learn a new skill. You're forced to adapt yourself and the way that you're going to be doing things, which is uncomfortable. And that's why, like, you know, young John probably was like, I want to stay on a team. I'm comfortable here. I'm good at what I do. It's exciting. What's uncomfortable is going and being a first shirt, right? Or uh, taking some other job that's like, hey, you know, we need you for this. I don't know. I don't want to volunteer for that. Um, my grandpa always said, hey, volunteer for everything. Because what you'll do in volunteering is you're, you'll put yourself in these uncomfortable situations and have to work your way out of it. Yep. And, and when you work your way out of it, usually good things come, right? You go become an expert in industrial, you know, uh, the industrial job, and they see that, right? They see the the performance capability that you're producing. So I, I'm with you 100%. I encourage everybody to do the same. Look at these as opportunities to really grow, but still have the safety net. Big Mama Air Force, Big Mama Army, they're going to take care of you and bring you back into the the fold if you mess up. You know, so it's it's the best place to experiment with, you know, new opportunities and and new skills, right? That you can and get. And, and yeah, I don't mean to interrupt, but I, I want to jump on one thing, especially for folks that are still in that are in the combat arms and find themselves having to leave, you know, typically because of a medical situation. And that can be, you know, you especially when you're early in your career and you've built yourself up, that's who you are. Your identity is all about that, that ability to run, jump and communicate and shoot and, and you know, do all that stuff. And now all of a sudden you've got to go to an office. And that can be a real challenge. And, you know, again, just approach it the way you used to approach everything else. And you'd be surprised what you can fall into. You know, with the industrial engineering job, funny side story about that is I went into, in the Air Force, it's called management engineering. It's really, you know, in the civilian world, it's the industrial engineering discipline. And I went in, I was the only former combat controller. Nobody went into this career field. Officers could go into second lieutenants. Enlisted, you always had to come from an existing career field. So they didn't have airmen, which was kind of convenient. Uh, but, uh, you know, so you were dealing with all NCOs, senior NCOs, and, and officers. And the idea was, let's say they wanted to do a manpower study on how many uh, mechanics it took to service a, a Jolly Green Giant Air helicopter or B-52, um, they would go out, okay, who do we have who were former maintainers? And they would put them on that. Well, at the time, there was a battle going on for more combat controllers. And the four-star at the time that had the ultimate responsibility, he said, I agree you need more people. I just don't know if I agree with your numbers because the career field had come up with its own estimates. So he turns to the management engineering folks because that's what he does in those situations. And they say, okay, we're going to do this Air Force-wide study on combat control. Who have we got that used to be a combat controller? One person raised their hand. So I wound up going, be, you know, going from being a combat controller, recent experience in Latin America, been an instructor. Now I'm leading the definitive manpower study for combat control. The, you know, we now have uh, the wings. Uh, we didn't have any of that back then. And uh, I actually was the first one to propose a wing structure for special tactics. It wasn't just combat controls, pararescue, and you know the others. Um, and so that was kind of fortuitous, especially when I wound up clearing up the medical issue 
and going back into the career field. And now I was armed with what I had learned from the side, you know, that that typically likes to take manpower slots away. I was well equipped to help us defend. Not only do we need to keep what we have, we need more. And so I was in a position to give back to the career field in a big way. So, and you can't anticipate those things. So, you know, be brave, bite the bullet, take, take a little side trip, and you may be surprised where it brings you. You know, and isn't that, I was once told this by an early mentor, um, but isn't that the definition of luck? Yep. Luck is being prepared to seize an opportunity when you see it. Yep. Right. You still got to be prepared. You still have had to have done all the hard work. Lucky isn't like I, I, I stupidly tripped into it. It's, hey, man, I was ready when it presented itself and I was the only one standing there. So I was the only one able and I drove a truck through that thing. That's it. You know what I mean? That's it. That's it, man. Beautiful. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then how much more effective, John, when you went back into the career field, were you? I mean, you know, commanders yeah. and folks that worked for you your peers. Yeah. I mean, they were all like, dudes are rock star, man. He, uh, he knows us. He's been both of both sides of us. I, I was, yeah, I, I can remember the most senior officer we had at the time, uh, coach Carney. And, and I, I had gone back to the 24th and I was trying to help build out the manpower there. And coach was down at the, uh, down at the, the headquarters or actually he was up at the major command. Anyway, we, we go to visit and the commander walks in the office and, you know, one or two others from the unit. And I come in at the end and he saw me down the line. He goes, oh, you brought the ringer. Uh, you know, it was, yeah, the reputation was established. It's like, okay, well, we, we just tell us what you want. <laughs> so, yeah, it was cool. You got a new war name, brother. I'm going to start calling you ringer now. So if you, if you oh. catch that email, John, I mean it out of full respect. My I got it. No, that's, that's, that's all good. <laughs> that's all good. Well, so now as you, as you did this, so you, you now you've taken the um, the twilight tour. You went up to the headquarters level. Did you're you're working through this and you're gaining all this other experience? When did you realize? And you kind of said it already. About five six years out, you you kind of realize this. This is I'm starting to transition into it. So it's always in your sight picture, yeah. and that's another piece of advice that I want everybody to hear. Is John didn't wait until oh shoot I hit the button I've got a year that's transition. No. It, nope strategically decided five to six years out, like yep. this is probably going to be the last one. I'm going to start preparing myself. So what's some good advice that you might give a transitioning service member? One, they're five, six years out. What would you start to do to ensure a smooth transition or some tips and tricks that might help them uh, kind of see the future like you did? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I think I've alluded to some of it already, like the willingness to do the, the bigger things perhaps. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, whether it's change career fields or take a special duty assignment or something like that, that's, that's obviously one of the things I did it, it worked. Um, and it's amazing how many different jobs and roles there are out there in the military. And if you really knew, you know, the, the step one is you kind of have to admit the horizon is out there. You're not going to mm -hmm. stay in forever. Some people want to, and they may, and they, 30 years or, or more. Um, a lot don't. And so one of the things you need to do is, is a bit of a calculation. My daughter is an active duty officer stationed in Okinawa right now. She was 12 years enlisted, got her commission. She and my grandson are over there now. She's a logistics officer. And I'm already talking with her about, you know, here's what you're going to face when you hit that 20-year point. They're going to offer you, I mean, because you can tell she's doing well. So they're going to offer you something, rank, promotion, something to stay in. And the question is, are you, do you want to be a general one day? You want to be an 06? You just want 20 and move on? And if you take that carrot that they wave in front of you, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing. That, that's a good thing. It means you're doing good. Uh, there's also the, you know, the carrot in your hand versus what you might get later on. I said, but here's, what, here's the difference. I said, if you are interested in a second professional career in the private sector, the longer you stay in that military career, unless you become a general officer, and it really is that, unless you cross that line, you're eating away at your private sector time because you're going to have to restart. And very few people get the chance to just kind of lateral over. I know one guy who uh, 
I, I'm, he may, I think he may not even fully appreciate, he's a smart guy. He probably does appreciate the fact that he retired and stepped into a director level role in a, in a company, a mid-sized company. And now he's a VP and it all came fairly easy. Now he worked hard in his 24 odd years. Um, and that's part of the reason I, I think he got that opportunity and some good networking. A lot of times you got to start over a bit when I, and, and that was one of the things I did. I didn't go into the, you know, this company that I, I went to, uh, and said, well, look, I'm a 21 year vet. You need to honor me. You know, <laughs> that's, they, they, they could care less. It's like, for them, it's what business have you sold lately? And if you haven't, you're, you're not, because that's what the rest of us in some form or fashion are trying to do. We're either trying to keep the business we have, we're trying to get new business and you got to be a part of that. And so, you know, I, I told myself, yeah, I'm starting over. It sucks, but I am. So that's how I have to approach this. And if you go in with your nose in the air, you know, it's going to get slapped down fairly quickly. So there's a couple of things I'm saying there is coming back to your question. One is you can do the big things, you know, like I was saying with the other roles. The big one of the biggest things you have to do is just mentally make that decision. Because you can't do it half-hearted. Now, you're going to you may say I'm going to see whether or not I make chief or make colonel or whatever. Okay, fine. That that's reasonable, but you kind of need to be saying, no, it, I, I can see, I, I'm going to read the situation for what it is, not how I want it to be. And based on that admission, I'm going to begin to prepare to move on to the second life. And I'm not going to be afraid of it. I'm going to make it what I want it you know, to, to be in my life. And so a lot of this is internal stuff. The rest of it tends to be mechanics. Um, I was alluding to something in the beginning of, of the show here. Um, You'll, you'll come across recruiters and senior HR people that will say, you need to pick the job you want, and do everything you can to get it. Well, I disagree with that. What my view is, is I'm going to pick the characteristics of the job that I want, and I'm going to cast my net a little bit. And you can't cast it too wide, but it's, it's you know, do I want to be a leader? Do I want to be an individual contributor? Am I just looking to be a good teammate? Just, you know, it's a big deal. Um, you know, what type of work, what field, what industry? And I, you know, very quickly you begin to paint a picture for yourself. And that helps recruiters and HR people and hiring officials because they're going to ask you, what do you want to do? And if you say, well, I want to help and, you know, I can do a lot of things. It's like, okay, you're, you're not helping me. Um, so so you, you've got to help paint that picture for yourself before you know, again, back to the preparation before somebody's going to take a chance on. You know, and speaking of preparations, so John, a lot of times when we're talking to guys and gals, I mean, we, we've been in business seven years over at Vets to PM. We've helped put 6,200 guys and gals and, and operators especially do well um, into jobs. And sometimes the, the candid ones will say, Hey man, doc, I'm having some imposter syndrome over here, brother. Like, you know, they they're going to find out. I don't know how to spell acquisition, man. And you, you bring up a great point, John, is you've got the resiliency. You've got the tenacity. You've got the initiative. Let me let you in on a secret. So I don't mean to offend anybody listening in the podcast nation that is not a veteran. But every place I've ever worked in most of them, and it doesn't matter whether it's government, for profit, not profit, nonprofit, whatever it is. Most states are at will work. Yep. You can show up and you can quit anytime and I can quit anytime and I can fire you anytime. There's zero loyalty. Yep. So you only have to do what we contracted you would do, which means mediocrity becomes the standard. So when you show up vet, you may not know how to spell acquisition, but you have an aptitude to learn highly technical stuff at a very fast pace and apply it because they, you leave the schoolhouse and you're on the job the following week when you come off orders, like period, travel orders, right? Yep, yep. So you're not an imposter. You deserve to be there. Bring that curiosity, that decision-making, that problem-solving, that resiliency, that tenacity. That's the same in, uh, unquantifiable stuff that they're going to see in the interview, right? And they're not going to see it from the people in the behind the office door that they're going to put you in. You're going, to put, you're going to go back there and you're going to run circles around those folks. And if you use them right, if you leverage them, they'll teach you how to spell acquisition. 
Yep. Take them to lunch. Ask them what they do. Ask them how yep. they learn. Ask them what yep. books to read. Yep. Right? Be inquisitive. Absolutely. Listen. Listen a lot. Listen to how they talk. Listen to how just all the different situations. Listen. Be a student. Be a, be a forever student. I mean, yeah, I, I came out into the business world and I, we all go through learnings of varying degrees. And I spent a lot of time observing. And, and some of it was, you know, I, I took the hooked on phonics approach. Yeah, I'm, I'm not the expert right now, but I can parrot it really good right now. And then I began to understand what I was saying. And so the point you're making exactly, you know, and some people will worry, but, you know, I used to be the expert. And I knew that tool, that weapon system, whatever, uh, upside down, inside out, blindfolded. And I'm not really qualified until I feel that way in this job. Well, not so much. Not so much. <laughs> this, this is a longer journey. It's, it's not a tech manual. There's a lot more moving parts. A lot more is dependent on you. A lot of things, you know, nice thing about the military, so many things are taken care of for you. And, and we don't realize the magnitude of that statement until you're out. And now it's all about you. And that can be a daunting thing. But don't be afraid of it. Embrace it. Work on it. And yeah. you, you'll do okay. Yeah. And Uncle Great. Sugar's not covering the tab anymore. So That's if somebody right. needs you to be certified or somebody needs you to get a degree or somebody needs you to write a resume or whatever, I'm not saying veteran, you don't deserve some free stuff. Got it. Check. But if you're hanging your future, if you're hanging your next second career on free everything, just sometimes be aware of cost isn't the only thing that you need to appreciate. Value sometimes plays a role in it, right? So, yep. you know, the, the yep. Civ Div expects you to come prepared to get on a field. If you said you could play ball and you said yep. you were going to help me win pennants, I'm going to put you in the first game. Even though you just signed with me last week, I'm going to put you in a divisional game and you better help me win because there's a ring on the other side of this in nine weeks. I, I invested in myself a couple of times uh, on the order of like seven grand out of pocket for a three-day event. Um, I, well, I'll finish it. It was, uh, I went to Stanford Law's, uh, what they call Director's College. One of my ambitions at the time, still somewhat, but at the time was uh, to be sort of a professional board member. Because you can get on two or three boards, the money's good, you're not working every day, it's interesting stuff, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I look, you know, I had, I had graduated into the C-suite in the Fortune 200. And I, what was, this was really interesting for me um, because I had hit the top of one envelope and talked with a, a friend of mine who was a few years older than me, and he had just gotten his master's. And I had been toying with the idea of, you know, MBA or not, and, and being kind of dismissive. And he said just a few words at the right time. Next day, I jumped into the MBA. And what happened was by getting into this C-level position, and I kind of felt I was at the top of one envelope. I got the MBA. Now I was at the bottom of a new envelope. You know, and it's like, oh, wow, now I can go, you know, and, and do big things. And, and I went on to some bigger things. And uh, along the way, I was like, OK, well, I also want to be this professional board member. Well, now I was in a position I was dealing with directors on boards, starting with our own. And I took a look at what they had to do. And what does that mean? And back to this, you know, at first it's hooked on phonics and then you actually learn what the word means and you go from there. And I, I realized, OK, there's two dominant schools that these kinds of folks go to, to get their, you know, education, a certain amount of regular credentialing, if you will. And there's, there's several out there, but there's two dominant ones. It's Harvard and, and Stanford. Uh, UCLA has a good one too. And so um, I, I literally took some time off, went away to this three-day event at Stanford. I'm sitting there with CEOs of these amazing companies. Um, you know, just, it was an incredible event. And that has, that was 2010, you know, 12 years ago. And I still referenced some of what I learned there. And as I've gotten into boards on charities and things like that, I got a mini boot camp of what board governance is about. And that's helped me with, you know, charitable organizations like the foundation, which I want to talk about, um, you know, and, and, and other things. So that was, a, 
no small investment. I took part of my bonus and I, I went and I, I paid that cash. Nobody reimbursed me, uh, paid for the whole trip myself. But that was an investment in myself and it's it's paid dividends since. But it was different, a, a different ribbon, a new de collar device, a new tab. And yep. now the civilians can recognize you walk into a room, they see mm -hmm. the collar device, they see the sleeve tab. They, You know what I mean? Like yep. that's kind of what that stuff is, right? So yeah. speaking of which, so you said, hey, foundation director someday guy. So, so no kidding, John, what are you doing now, my friend? <laughs> oh, this is, uh, this is amazing. This is one of those things, uh, you know, right point in my life. For me, it's a wonderful fit. For the community, we're doing some good, which, you know, uh, I'll talk about this in a variety of ways, but I want to cut to, cut to the chase on, on one thing. Um, anything can begin to feel like a job and I, you got to get up and you got to, you know, you got to get through the day. Um, it's less so when you're doing charitable stuff and especially when you're doing it for a community that every day of your life you think about and it, you know, it's in your heart. Um, those certain days when you find yourself on a call with typically it's a husband and wife from the community, something's gone wrong. They have got the weight of the world on them. They've got, you know, they're, they're trying to talk to you and deal with the kids in the background and a situation that feels like it's crumbling around them. And you say, okay, does your bank take Zelle? I'm not sure. I'll check and, you know, quickly, blah, blah, blah. yes, they do take Zelle. Okay, I am about to send you X amount of money. That's to help you get through the month and, and let you get a good night's sleep. Okay, this isn't the permanent thing, but it's, we're going to help you be a bridge. We're going to connect you with some other folks based on the different things you're dealing with. And we're going to talk again in a few days. Usually there's tears. They cry too. Um, I'm kidding. But, <laughs> I love, it. Um, love it, John. But uh, um, no, I'm, I'm actually I'm serious about that. It's uh, because I live on a high for the next week. It's not John's money. I'm the facilitator. But the fact that we've got good people, donors out there that recognize their their needs, they don't know who they are, they want to learn, and they want to contribute, they want to help, um, and you know, I, I'll tell you what, that, yeah, then I want the next one. Who else can I help? It's, yeah, it's an amazing thing. Right. Yeah. And so I mean, and you're, you helping know, your, you're helping your career folks for, for generations, potentially in some cases. I mean, you gave me goosebumps. I teared up, John. I mean, what an amazing, and you get to get up every day and do that. And can you believe yeah. they pay you? I mean, yeah, <laughs> no, that's, that's the beauty of it. It's uh, it, yeah. It's now they don't, they, by design, I, I gave them a deal. They couldn't turn me down. I, I, I lowballed it and said, guys, this will never be a day of work. So, um, yeah. Um, but we're also, we're young. We're still less than a million in assets. Uh, you know, I'm not trying to take advantage of this. Uh, you know, the, all those good reasons. I do believe in, in good compensation. And, and let, let me talk about the foundation and, and all that for a bit. I remember when the Combat Control Association was begun in the early 80s. My life member number is in two digits. It's kind of like USPA numbers, you know, you, you know the, the lowest number wins. Um, the, uh, but for decades, uh, I can safely say it never fulfilled what a lot of us hoped it would do. And that's, you know, I'm not going to get into the politics of the community. We all have those politics and, and that's nothing new. But there's also the fact that it was a veterans association. It's the, the Combat Control Association is a 501c19. That's a veterans members organization. A lot of companies and the outside world, while there's a whole bunch of different types of nonprofit organizations, the one that they tend to key on is a 501c3 charitable organization. That's what most foundations are. That's what the Combat Control Foundation is. Well, a few years back, the board at the time recognized we're not getting corporate contributions and whatnot because we can't offer the same tax write-off that a C3 does. Now, in fact, you can, but a lot of companies don't have it in their bylaws or whatever, and that, that's part of the problem. They don't stay up to date on what they can do. Um, and so uh, the board at the time of the association created the Combat Control Foundation, legally established, 
but then they didn't do anything else with it. It was there. If somebody wanted to make a contribution and wanted that big receipt back, they could give them a C3 receipt. Well, the current board talked about it for several years, and then last year took real action to stand it up. Well, years ago, I'd been on the association board briefly, got on it, decided to get off it. I checked in last spring. They and the found the, the association was the board for both the foundation and the association. And the uh, they they had had somebody doing the IT website and all that for a long time. They had left, and they had just because of another combat controller did a good job connecting some people and networking. They had a benefactor in Texas. I'll I'll say his name, Mickey Redwine, who's a great patriot. And he said, you know, you guys don't do a good job of telling your story. I'm going to help. And he threw our first fundraiser. So now these volunteers are scrambling because they've never done anything like this before. They didn't have backgrounds in charity, charities. They had, you know, some of they, they have decent business acumen, but they don't have a lot of experience because they're recently retired and those kinds of things. And here I show up. I've been on a half dozen nonprofit boards all the corporate, you know, everything, the, the two decades of, of resume. And I said, well, I've got the time and I can help. So yeah, let me jump in. The first thing we did was we had to migrate websites. We had to do all the back office stuff for this, uh, for this first uh, um, uh, uh, charitable event. And the event happens, not only did we raise a lot of money, but we had offers to do two more events. Well, actually, one more event, and then another one came along. And so that turned into the gift that keeps on giving. And the board approached me and said, so what do you think about running this? Because basically, I'm working 40 hours plus a week for two months, volunteer, trying to you know make all this work. And so I became employee number one. Literally, I signed my employment agreement on September 11th last year. And we got through the remaining uh, events. And so we finished the year with, we had taken in about $740,000 through three events over six months, which for a new nonprofit is terrific. Um, luckily, they also had the foresight that they recognized, look, we need a, a separate board. You know, we need people that have a background doing this. And luckily, I was able to tap into my network and bring in people. Um, so we've got a really good board. Uh, several of the board members are not only civilian, they never served, but they're good patriots and they've come to know us and they want to help. And, and here they are. And so that, that's, uh, I, I don't think they'll ever understand how grateful we are. I am, uh, that they are here because they're already adding a lot and they, they share the vision. So let's talk about the movie because this, this fits into our strategy. Um, John Chapman, uh, he was tech sergeant when he passed in Afghanistan, um, later posthumously promoted to master sergeant. Initially, he was awarded uh, an Air Force Cross that was later upgraded to a Medal of Honor. Um, you've, uh, uh, You've heard about Taku Gar, and uh, he was with the SEAL team that went up there. It's also referred to as Robert's Ridge. Um, there's two actions, and this is the first Medal of Honor action that was recorded on video. Yeah, I saw and it. It's afterwards, if you haven't seen it, I'll, I'll share the link. Um, it's you know you can see what happened in a compressed. I think it's about eight minutes of video, and it came from a. Uh, eventually declassified drone footage. It was really part of what was behind the upgrade to Medal of Honor. So wind the clock forward, and, and what, two things happened. One, John was, when, when they came back to get Roberts, they get off the bird, John charges up the hill, he's shot, he falls, they're getting overwhelming fire, the SEAL team, and there's another combat controller there, they get on the bird and they get out. They thought John was dead. Turns out John's alive. Later on, they change helos because it was shot up. They come back up. I'm giving you the real abbreviated story here. They come back up, and the bad guys are waiting for the helo, and John sacrifices himself protecting the helo as it came in. 
Um, wind the clock forward. John's sister, Lori Longfritz Chapman, wants to write a book about her brother and eventually reaches out to Dan Schilling, who's a retired combat controller. And they are the co-authors of this book. And, and Dan, Dan did a, it, it's, it was a New York Times bestseller. It's called Alone at Dawn. It's a good read. And it's really intriguing the way they did it because um, they tell the story of combat control in parallel with the story of John Chapman. And then the two merge at the end. And so the day John's born, they talk about Jim Stafford, Southeast Asia, sitting in a single engine plane flying low level. He's a combat controller flying low level and calling in airstrikes and communicating with the folks on the ground and, and doing what combat controllers do with the call for fire mission. Um, at the same, on that same date, John Chapman's born. And then they talk about the progression. You talk about the Iran rescue mission. Here's where John is at that point in his life. Granada, here's where John is at that point. And then eventually, you know, Takugar. Um, the book is a, is a great read. So the book is being turned into a movie. The name of the movie is going to be called Combat Control. For a charitable organization to have an A-list movie coming out with your name on it is a unicorn event, a true unicorn. That doesn't happen. Jake Gyllenhaal is going to play John Chapman. Oh, wow. I, I, I wish I could. I'm gapping on the director's name. He's an A-list director. Um, I've been told under a gag order who the female lead is. And depending on your taste, she's at least equal to Jake's stature in the industry. Wow. Um, so, you know, it, that's going to be a big deal. And it's scheduled to come out third quarter of 2023. So next year and a quarter. Um, our strategy and you know we we know dan we know laurie they're executive producers on the movie the foundation doesn't claim any connection to the movie you know we just we, we hope that we can mutually work together and you know so far so good vicariously but obviously we want to leverage when this comes out and it's not because i'm going to make a lot of money and pocket it it's because we're going to put it in the coffers to help our community the seals special forces others They've been out in the charitable community for a few decades. Um, we, uh, you know, we're just getting started at this. The SEALs have $200 million in assets. Special Ops Warrior Foundation is close to that number. Um, you know, we have less than a million. Now, we don't have near the same number of males to feed, but still, relatively speaking, we're way behind. So, tremendous opportunity to really jump us into another level in having the you know donors give and, and help our community. Uh, but the movie will come, the movie will go, and then we'll be at another stage that we can we can go on from there. So everything that we're doing now has got this movie in mind, you know, good reverse planning as as operators will. Here's there's the objective. When that movie is released in the US, we want to have release parties firing off across the country. And then, you know, tell continue to tell the story and hopefully people will give and we can help our folks from there. That is too cool. You know, and speaking of giving, I just, I don't want this moment to go by because the, the, the story that John just told was amazing, but considering that less than 1% of our current population serves and then less than whatever percent are ever operators. And then you talk about one in a million on top yeah. of that mountain. Yeah. For an aircraft yeah. full of people that he literally is not blood tied to. Right. You know, running a couple nonprofits myself, I have to say, John, for all of you listening out there who are vets or those of you that aren't vets, you need to go tell your civilian counterparts to listen. You may never have worn the nation's cloth, but you sure as hell can be a patriot. You sure as heck can buy a book. You sure as heck can go see a movie. You sure as heck can take your kids to a movie. And you sure as heck can instill in them what it means to still be an American, what it means to wear a uniform. You don't have to do it yourself because there's John's out there that'll do it for you, right? Yep. But Patriots, you have an opportunity to support. And those of us in the veteran community, we'll lock elbows with you and stand to your left and your right, just like you were one of us. Because once you jumped in, you jumped in. You support us, we'll support you back. 
right? Yep. Absolutely. Amen. Yep. And there's lots of good folks that are willing to support. That's that's the amazing thing about this. It's uh, it's the gift that keeps on giving. I meet a few people. Well, they know a few people that feel the same way, and and it just it's this networking effect that just builds and builds, and it's 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 wonderful, and it and it it feels good. It's doing good. We're you know we're not talking bad about anybody. We're not bashing anybody. We're just you know we're we're trying to help our our, our veterans and their families. You know from this particular community that has been uh, largely unknown. Um, and you know it, it, we used to kid years ago. Nobody knows about us. We never had our movie. Uh, Green Berets at John Wayne. Uh, you know, the seals that Charlie seen and we, you can keep him. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, we're finally going to have our movie. It's like, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, it brings a lot of awareness, right. To your career field, to your, um, yeah. your specialty. And then exactly what, where you fit in, in the war fighters. Right. So yep. I mean, you're hundred percent, right. Like they, everybody's got their movie and that seems to be what helps everybody else kind of fit you into a certain bucket. So I think it's going to be really cool for, not only your foundation, but your community at large, and and likely will be a great recruiting video. For, oh yeah, you know. oh yeah. And when we know the recruiters, and we're we're going to do a certain amount of collaboration there. You know, the the interesting one of the interesting things about the combat control world, and you know, it's part of the Air Force Special Tactics and Air Force Special Warfare communities that the large you know the larger groups. But one of the things combat control can lay claim to is it's not just the war fighting. But there's also the humanitarian side because, you know, I don't expect a lot of people to be aware of the career field. Um, if you take a special forces soldier, a Navy SEAL sailor, you know, those skills and you add a air to ground, air traffic control mindset with a lot of different communications, signaling devices and all that, that's a combat controller. And what we bring to the fight is this, you know, three-dimensional air to ground capability. Anybody can be trained to call in an airstrike. That's and and plenty of folks do that. But when you're going to begin to play 3D chess with air assets coming different angles, different weapon systems, different aircraft, different types of bombs, all that stuff, that's a different game. And if you're going to do that near an airfield with planes going up and down, that's you know that again that, that not the average bear is going to do that. But because you've got all that ability. Uh, there's the air land mission as well. And that's that's really where a lot of this started was airdrops and air lands. And I'll give you an example. When, you know, we just passed the anniversary on, on the, the extraction from Afghanistan, as awful as that was. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there were the photo ops about the last American soldier, you know, is leaving Afghanistan, leaving Kabul. Well, that wasn't exactly the last person. The last person was a combat controller out out of camera sight, you know, that once, and, and with all respect to the general, it's not him, it's PR people do those things. The general got on board, but then the combat controller was doing his last scan, said clear for takeoff, hopped on the back of the bird, they closed the door and blasted off. Yeah. At, at the same time that was happening, the first boots on the ground for humanitarian relief in Haiti were combat controllers. So there's also this ability, you know, to to do humanitarian missions while we're also conducting warfare. And there's not a lot of career fields where you can literally go from one to the other in a span of hours or, or a few days. Yeah, for sure. For sure. In fact, they 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 guided us in one of my last missions in, a, in the C-130 was going to Sendai, or if you may know it as the Fukushima reactors after the oh, uh, yeah. tsunami wiped it out, right? So there's no runway. I've got them on nogs and uh, I, I flip them up. It's complete darkness. There's nowhere to, there's no, no way we can find it. Flip the nogs back down, see two cats on dirt bikes with uh, glow sticks running us down a mud pit runway. I was like, you got to be kidding me. Yeah. <laughs> we land, offload all the uh, humanitarian stuff for them. And there they go off on their dirt bikes again to give us a way out. So I was like, man, it was it was cool watching them do their work. What was even cooler was flipping up and not being able to see anything. So I don't know how they were riding bikes, but you know, I was like, hey, we'll take it. We'll, we'll follow yeah. them. So they they got us out they of it. They had NVGs too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But it was just there's nothing. I mean, if you imagine a city completely wiped away and there was not a street light, it literally was glow sticks and flashlights. Yeah. That's all we yeah. had. 
Yeah. They did an amazing job. So I have much respect. Um, as we begin to wrap this up and tie it back into folks that are uh, transitioning or are making decisions early in in their career to start to begin to transition while on active duty, which is something I highly recommend. Don't wait until the the fifth year before you're out, right? You can always start taking those additional duty assignments like John had said. What's some parting shots, wisdom that you want to leave them with? Uh, first, I'd be remiss. To, I haven't mentioned our website. Uh, I, I got to plug that if I can. Combatcontrol.team. Combatcontrol.team. There's no .com or anything. Just combatcontrol.team. You can learn a little bit about us. And uh, if you're inclined to uh, make a donation to help, that that's always appreciated. You know, uh, I'll go back to some of my opening comments uh, to wrap it up. The uh, Lowacki's mantra, as I called it, and not to go through the whole list that I've developed or acquired over the years. But one of the biggest things that I'll mention is relationships are everything. Um, and a big part about relationships is trust. That's really, you know, you're building trust with people. And you can fix anything. You can overcome anything with relationships. And so I know a lot of people, you know, especially some of the folks that we that we get in our communities, um, you know, they, 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 they're quiet. They don't necessarily want to get out and network. But you know what? Nobody gets to where they eventually arrive by themselves. And so don't be afraid to get out there and share yourself a little bit and talk. Relationships are everything. Um, you know, uh, also... <laughs> Another one that I like to throw around, this is a little bit uh, random. Um, it's all about incentive. And you can, get, you can understand situations. You're going into a brave new world uh, after you re retire or separate. Um, try and track the incentives. Everybody's supporting. Everybody's a customer of somebody in some way or serving a customer. And the more you can figure out those relationships, the further you get. Um, don't let negative information get in the way of a good decision. That's active duty post-active duty. Those are some of the things that that I used over the years to help guide me if you're going to ask for, for tips or, or thoughts. Um, but beyond that, uh, don't be afraid of it. Don't be afraid to take a chance on yourself. You've, military people have so much to offer and they, they don't fully understand it, I believe. You can naturally be a teacher. You can naturally be a leader. Um, there, there's all kinds of things. That's great. Great advice. Doc, anything? I would just say, man, it's been nothing but goosebumps, like 95% of this ride. So John, speaking of relationships, man, thank you so much for starting one with us. Thank you so much for sharing your valuable time uh, with the MTA Podcast Nation. And uh, thanks for what you do, man. We need well, guys thank you for the work you fight. guys have done helping troops transition. That's when I, when I learned about you in red and the numbers. That's outstanding. That really is. You're doing good work. Thank you. Thanks, John. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And once again, combatcontrol.team. Yes. And, and you'll enjoy the even the splash page on the website. It's 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 a running video. And obviously, one of my favorite airplanes is is featured there. So I won't even tell you what it is. Go check it out. I, I got to get back on one at a recent air show. I hadn't been on one in two decades. I had goosebumps. I yeah, yeah. Love it. And let's close right. this show out, Chief. What do you got, man? I think, I think honestly, what, what you're going to hear, and it, it could be, I don't want people to misunderstand um, John's messaging, and it's not all about combat controllers, right? There's a lot of sage wisdom, and but also life wisdom, right? Even after your transition, even after your second or third bid in the civilian world, all these principles still apply. You know, believe in yourself. Don't be afraid of the change. Um, embrace the new uh, items and technology and all this other stuff that comes with it. And you can harness it and you're good at what you do. I mean, you know, I, I think something that you said is, you know, yeah, you had that one, that one person that had that really lateral move into a director spot. Why does that stick out? Because it's not everybody's story. That's a mm -hmm. one thing. So if you rest on your laurels, are you is you going to chance it that you're that one person that it's just all going to happen for or are you going to engineer a situation where you're prepared and you become lucky because you're ready right so i mean i, I guess i would leave the crowd with that simply is go back listen to this maybe one more time and just try to pick out the little things that john said 
that were just nuggets of life wisdom, but unpack it as a transitioning military member. So we love you guys. Lots of service out there and great show. Thanks, John. Thank you guys. Thank you for tuning in and spending a bit of time with us at the Military Transition Academy powered by Vets to PM. If we piqued your interest, but you want more details, please head over to the website vets2pm.com and see if we can help prepare you for a better tomorrow or a future meaningful and lucrative career.